Welcome to Two Psychologists for Beers. I'm Yuval Limbar. With me here, as always, is my friend and co-host, Alexa Tullett. Alexa, now that Elon Musk has bought Twitter and is bringing back free speech, are you finally going to start using the platform? <laughs> I've just been waiting for Twitter to have a cooler representative, you know? Like, <laughs> my honestly, like my first reaction to I don't know, some some Instagram post about Elon Musk. That's perfect. That's, that, that's, right. where, I that's where you learned about it. <laughs> Was like, like, why doesn't this guy deal with his neck beard? Like, he's he has so much money. Is that a deliberate choice? Yeah, he has five companies to run, and so he has no oh, time to shave his beard. He's busy, I see. Yeah, the Twitter thing is just going to make that situation worse, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Alexa, you're going to break everybody's heart by not drinking today. Is that right? That's correct. Um, yeah. Although I did the opposite of breaking someone's heart when I got this diet Coke, um, because there was a guy in front of me in front of the vending machine and it wasn't accepting his $5 bill. And I was like, let me buy you a diet Coke. And he was super grateful for it. (laughs) I, uh, I, I hope that, you know, that karma comes back to you in some way or not. I mean, you know, you don't do this for the rewards, obviously. Oh, definitely not. Uh, I'm just deeply a good person. (laughs) Exactly right. Well, for once, I am drinking beer. Um, I went to the fancy beer store here, and I got a beer from a brewery in Latvia. A brewery is called Arpis Brewing Company. This is a blackcurrant blueberry citra sour double IPA. It's a big can. It's like 8%. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how I do with this. I really feel like you're carrying a lot of the beer drinking weight today for us, both in terms of quantity, but also in terms of just like what's going on in your beer. Like, I don't think pe- people could handle two different beers today. This is like a serious beer podcast beer, isn't it? <laughs> for once, I mean, I feel like I have a lot of ground to make up, to be honest, since I've been like a terrible slacker the uh-huh, last few true. weeks. Yeah. Anyway, consider this my penance. I'm going to crack this open and we're going to see how it is. Wow. So first of all, it's like approximately the color of cranberry juice, which is a little alarming. Um, Let me try it. It's all very foamy also. Oh, that's my fault. I poured it wrong. (laughs) Wow. It is like, is kind of intensely fruity sour. Mm -hmm. Mm, I'm into it. It looks very good. I'm jealous. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if you can get these stateside. Maybe I can smuggle some back for you. And some wine. Some wine. And some sausage. Some cheese. Just like, fuck bringing the clothes back, right? Just leave my clothes here. Pack the suitcase full of wine, sausage, and Euro beers. Can you do that? I tried to smuggle a Clementine back once from Canada to the United States, and I got in trouble. You know, if they catch you, there is a limit to what you're allowed to bring in. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do have a Nexus card, you know, so they don't normally search me. So uh-huh. I, I, I don't know if they have like the, you know, sausage sniffing dogs at the airport that they might. Those dogs that are specially trained. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was going to say, I don't know if a dog needs special training to detect sausage. I feel like that's just their, they're just born with that, right? That's a maybe a good segue into our topic today, although. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Speaking of innate characteristics, no, okay. Mm-mm. So I wanted to talk about this paper um, because I saw people talking about it on Twitter. I thought it looked kind of interesting, and then it seemed like lots of people were upset about it. So I was like, that's weird. And so I did a little more digging around, including reading the paper, but also asking people 
um, what they thought of it. Uh, so yeah, that's what I wanted to discuss today. This paper is called Deep Models of Superficial Face Judgments. It's out uh, just now in uh, PNAS, uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Uh, it's by Joshua C. Peterson et al. Uh, he's a postdoc, I believe. Um, okay, so here's my understanding of what they do, and some of this is a little technical, so I hope that I get this right. But so basically what they're interested in is people's judgments of characteristics like uh, trustworthy, smart, etc. How do those express themselves in faces? So in other words, what are the types of faces that people see as trustworthy, smart, and so on? Uh, so this to me is a study about, you know, perceiver beliefs. It's obviously not necessarily the case that people are right about this stuff. In fact, they're probably not, right? But they have mm -hmm. some sort of mental prototype of what does a trustworthy person look like? What does a smart person look like? And so on, right? So, so as I take it, that's what this paper was intended to investigate. What do those prototypes actually look like? Uh, but the way that they did this is really creative and clever. So what they did is they artificially generated a bunch of faces, a thousand faces total, um, using this technology that makes incredibly realistic looking faces. Did you look at any of these? Yeah, yeah, they they look cool. I I remember being in grad school and people doing research on manipulated faces that I thought were like pretty realistic, um, but they look like trash compared to these faces. Yeah, so I'm used to probably I've seen the same papers where you use this face morphing software. And it, it and it just it looks obviously fake, right? And these, if I didn't know that they were generated by a computer, I would have no way of detecting that. I would think that these were just real people. Mm -hmm. um, and so they take these thousand faces, um, and they ask a bunch of mTurkers to rate them on different attributes. So there's 34 attributes total. Um, I've also already mentioned trustworthy and smart. Some other ones, um, attractive dominant, uh, feminine to masculine. That's one item, I guess. Uh, typical, happy, familiar. These are all kind of separate items that people are asked uh, to rate these faces on. And there's also, also things that are, um, that are more kind of concrete features of the face. So does the person have long hair? Does the person have dark or light skin color? Does the person have dark or light hair color? Is the person outside? Right, so it's it's kind of a mix of things that are um, inferences that observers make about faces versus kind of physical characteristics of them. Um, and as I understand the methods, each individual mTurk rater is asked to rate a bunch of faces on one characteristic. Right, so if I'm assigned to the trustworthy condition, I I rate a bunch of faces on trustworthiness, and that's it. I don't rate them on anything else. Okay. So here's where the cool part comes in. The way that the um, AI that generated the faces represents them mathematically is by a, a vector, which is just basically like a big list of numbers. Um, mm -hmm. So I forget the dimensionality of the vector. It's in the hundreds, right? Like, like let's say 300. I forget whether that's exactly right. So each face is represented by the model by these 300 attributes. Mm -hmm. And now what you can do is you can use those attributes, 
those numbers, which obviously vary across the faces, as predictors of people's judgments. So, like, would an attribute be, like, nose width or, like, eyebrow height or... So that's the thing. It's You don't know. It's a black okay. box inside the model, right? You know okay. what the model thinks it is. And, and, and you can then back out when you, in, in stage two, what some of these things actually are. But intrinsically, you don't have any insight into what the model thinks that these numbers are. You just have like this list of numbers. And that's, they point this out, you know, it's a kind of a limitation of this way of generating faces is that, you know, you don't really know kind of under the hood what these attributes actually represent. Okay. So, so basically, what you can do then is a regression in which each one of these attributes is a predictor, and people's judgments of, say, trustworthiness are the DV. Mm-hmm. So you can say, okay, which of this, which of these vector elements correspond with changes in people's perceived trustworthiness, and you can do that for all of the traits. So. Then subsequently, what you can do is you can reverse the process, and I'm making this sound way simpler than it is because it's non-trivial, but basically you can say, okay, we figured out that let's say these three elements of the vector seem to have to do with trustworthiness in this direction, right? So higher numbers on this element of the vector mean more trustworthy, let's say. Mm -hmm. Take this existing face and crank up those parts of the representation. So I mm-hmm. want you to boost the trustworthiness, right? So mm-hmm. then you can you can take a starting face and say, make it look more trustworthy, mm-hmm. uh, make it look more smart, make it look mm-hmm. more happy, et cetera. Yep. And you can even say, do that holding these other elements constant, right? So I w- is, let's say trustworthy and smart co-vary. I don't know if they empirically do or not, but you can say, okay, hold the smartness constant, constant but increase the trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. So what this lets you do do is really visualize what are people's stereotypes of like, let's say more trustworthy versus less trustworthy faces, smart or less smart, privileged or less privileged, right? These are all things that they're asked to to rate the faces on. Um, So yeah, that's basically the paper. What do you make of that? I went into this this paper pretty naive because, or like without knowing what the Twitter commentary was. Um, so I read the, at first the thread about um, what they had found in the paper and things like that. Um, and initially it struck me as quite similar to a lot of impression formation research that I've like, um, I'm not very familiar with, but an, as familiar as probably like the average social psychologist or something like that. Um, and that their methodology was really fancy. Like, so, you know, they were doing this in like a sophisticated way that's a little bit over my head and their images look very realistic. Um, and then I was like, I mean, maybe in some ways looking at the results and what you can do with this, like s- slightly underwhelmed. So not o- underwhelmed by the methodology because it's like really um, quite cool what's happening. But then, you know, looking at the images that are like, here are the untrustworthy faces and here are the trustworthy faces. And we know this because of like all of this trouble we've gone through. And then all of the untrustworthy faces are like scowling and all of the trustworthy faces are like happy babies. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's kind of like, <laughs> right. Um, but I guess that's sort of m- maybe um, the point. So like, I mean, these are like, they, I guess they should be intuitive. It's just a reflection of of 
people's stereotypes. So um, my own stereotypes would probably be um, potentially consistent. Um, and then I had a little bit of like a um, like when you're rating faces on things like intelligence and um, and like other sort of like value laden qualities like that. And they talk about the diversity of their sample and stuff. Um, I felt a little bit of wariness, which we can get into. Um, but I didn't, I wouldn't have anticipated the specific kinds of, um, like comments that, that were made, um, on Twitter. So that, that was my initial reaction. Yeah. Okay. So let's, I, I do want to talk about the, you know, the response from people online. Um, but I, I want to zoom in on a couple things first. So one thing that they did do, which was sort of unusual, is they included in this generated face set people of all ages. So there's like small mm -hmm. children, babies, old people, mm -hmm. right? And some of the things that subjects are asked to rate the faces on are really weird applied to babies. It's like, how, mm -hmm. how smug is this baby? <laughs> oh my gosh, babies <laughs> are so this? smug. Babies are smug. How electable is this baby? Uh-huh, right, right, right. Oh, here's a good one. How gay is this baby? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so I don't know why they made that choice to include the babies. It, it uh -huh. seems kind of odd to me, right? Uh-huh. I also think, I mean, so we'll, I'm sure we will get into this, but like sort of the relationship between the ratings and the actual qualities. I mean, they're obviously synthetic faces, so it doesn't make sense to talk about the qualities of the people. Um, but whether there's like a relationship between these like vectors or attributes and actual characteristics of people. Um, but I would argue that um, trusting a baby is a mistake. Babies are incredibly self-centered. I, I don't think that babies are... Uh, very dependable. They're you know? <laughs> highly unreliable, actually. <laughs> yeah, I would say the baby is not trustworthy. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess you were like, well, what is this good for? And there there were a couple things that I thought, you know, would be, would be really nice that you could do with this. So first mm -hmm. of all, um, for stimulus generation. So, right? And, and particularly if I want a stimulus sample, um, yeah. which w we've... I think talked about, you know, that has some like desirable consequences, like in terms of generalizing, right? So particularly because you can hold stuff constant. So I can say, mm -hmm. right, I want to hold age constant. I want to hold race constant. I want to hold gender constant. I only want to vary um, outgoingness, perceived mm -hmm. outgoingness. And mm -hmm. I can have the model spit out basically an infinite number of faces, uh -huh. that vary on that axis, but not on the other things. Yeah, I think of a like specific instance where um, I was discussing a paper with a group of people that was looking at, um, I think the extent, I'll, I'll try to look up this paper. I don't think I'm going to remember the authors off the top of my head. Um, but it was looking at our um, tendencies to attribute um, pain or like, I guess, um, yeah, take pain seriously from people of different races. Um, and one criticism was like that there is a like sampling bias. So the the pictures of black people that were used in the study were like systematically different than the pictures of white people used in the study on things other than race, essentially, was one concern or criticism. Um, and so like in studies like that, where you want to look at, um, yeah, let's say like how race or age or something like that um, influences people's judgments. 
it would be great to have a stimulus set where you, um, yeah, can control these other things or uh, you can do a better job of, um, I guess, like deliberately making sampling decisions and things like that. Like that really is often limiting of the generalizability of those, the results of those kinds of studies. Yeah. So as a, just our tool for research, I thought that had awesome potential. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's often interesting research questions that have to do with, do the sorts of biases that perceivers have affect their behavior in some way? So there's been research, for example, on um, Airbnb hosts, uh, and I don't know, I haven't actually read the details of this, but the kind of stylized fact is uh, they're less likely to accept reservations from black people, Mm -hmm. um, presumably because they have negative stereotypes about them, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing you could do using this technology is you could have a massive scale coding of faces on different attributes, including race, but not limited to that, obviously. And you can see, okay, does that affect people's behavior towards them? So if Mm -hmm. you have data from these online platforms where you see the person's face, right? Um, And then you, I don't know, um, can uh, bid on their item on eBay or um, allow them to book your uh, vacation home or whatever else. Uh, using this, I mean, previously you could do it with raters, obviously, but this is just like allows you to do it so much more easily and at such higher volume that like you could really get huge amounts of data on things that are really important, right? Like Mm -hmm. how do these biases that people have about appearance affect the behavior of actual people that they're interacting with? I think those are important questions, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's just kind of to say, like, what I was excited about as far as, you know, beyond just the, like, the flashiness of the methods, like, how this might be used just in research. Yeah, right, right. And I think, like, the, the so the idea of sort of, like, when you, when you see a study that says, okay, we can, now we can manipulate a face to make it more trustworthy or something like that, um, I see the applications in research. I think where I find it, I found it to be sort of underwhelming, but this, I think also maybe, um, reduces some of like the concerns about the threat of this kind of information is that I, so you imagine like, Oh, well, companies are going to like create, um, faces that are super trustworthy and they're going to manipulate us. And I think that, that this kind of research will not enhance companies abilities to do that basically at all. So I think, companies already they can like maybe they do uh um what's it called uh focus groups or something like that um but also maybe they just choose people based on intuition where they're like oh people are gonna like this this guy or this person because they look trustworthy and and so i think that like people's ability to do these kinds of things already um based on their intuition or based on like sort of basic um focus group type stuff is this is this that's already happening. Like, I mean, yeah. So, um, I I think we we're gonna get more into the, like the specific critiques. Um, one that I thought of that I just want to run by you because I'm just I just feel like this is so clever and I'm sort of boasting because I thought of it. But okay, so imagine that you're a company, right? And you have your I don't know uh, executives and their headshots on the website. What you could do using this software is tweak it to make them look 
more attractive, more trustworthy, more intelligent, whatever. Mm -hmm. Not by so much that it doesn't resemble the original anymore, but just Mm -hmm. a smidge, right? Because Mm -hmm. it will work on, on a photo of a real person. Right. Uh-huh. Or, or if I don't like you, I could generate like an Alexa that like people are going to mistake for Alexa, but it's like 10% less trustworthy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like, uh, I mean, again, I guess, I guess this, this study has not only the technology to sort of like know what characteristics to manipulate, but also the ability to generate really realistic faces. Um, So like as a combination, I guess that could be kind of like a scary thought or something like that. I mean, I think that some version of that kind of thing also already happens, right? Like, like images are airbrushed and things like that. Um, You know, but, but that's, that's like an attractiveness thing, probably more so than like a trustworthiness thing. Right. I mean, I imagine that when it's high stakes, like it's the CEO headshot or whatever, they might actually do some focus grouping or or um, rating or something. Like take a bunch of pictures and say, you know, which one looks the best to you in which. You know does... where I Sorry, think that ahead. they're not doing this at all. Where's that? Real estate um, agent billboards. <laughs> so that's like an untapped market. Wait, do you have a beef with real estate agent billboards? Yeah, I always think that they look terrible they look like really sleazy or like it's just a bad picture or something and i'm like who vetted these pictures right 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 so imagine the realtor could just run this through the software to make themselves look more appealing and trustworthy yeah and they talked a little bit right about some of the some of the attributes like um like having like a less furrowed brow or something like that makes you seem more trustworthy i could definitely see that happening in an airbrushing situation Right. So like you said, particularly for things like trustworthy, some of this is like quite intuitive, right? Like yeah. we, the, the untrustworthy people, they look like, you know, they're not making eye contact and they're sort of like, you know, lurking about in a way that like definitely looks untrustworthy. Like you don't really need like the fancy shoving models. wads of cash into their pockets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Stealing candy from small children. <laughs> but yeah, there's ones where like, okay, so I think for a lot of the or for the the things that they're rating like smart or privileged or whatever, I think um, being able to like identify like a an image of somebody that like looks smarter or looks more privileged or something like that is different than being able to generate the image. Um, so that is something that I think is coming from this study that yeah like goes above and beyond just like what you would be able to do with focus groups, right? You're not just like coming up with the faces. Right, right. Although the face creation software exists already, right? So in theory, you could generate a bunch of faces and mm-hmm. then just like screen using your intuition, which ones look trustworthy and then have people rate the rest or something. It's, it's obviously, it's more cumbersome, but it's definitely doable. Right, 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 right. Okay. okay. Right, right. Okay, so, so let's talk about some of the Twitter reaction, which is where I sort of heard about this paper in the first place is there was a lot of talk about it. Uh-huh. Um, so as far as I can tell, uh, so here's what happened is the, uh, the first author, um, Peterson wrote a tweet thread about this paper, like, Hey, new paper, check it out. Here's a summary of the findings as one does. Um, and then, um, a big account. Uh, so this is, uh, this woman's name is Abeba Burhane. Uh, she's, uh, computer science, AI, ethics researcher, uh, as far as I can tell, um, quote tweeted him 
so that thread, and uh-huh. wrote, uh, quote, trustworthy, smart, and privilege are not things that can be read off faces. This is nothing but a form of machine-aided physiognomy, physiognomy. that there's a little typo in there, that will be used for insidious purposes, which will end up harming those that don't fit social and hysteria historical stereotypes and Mm -hmm. she has a big following and so then we're kind of off to the like pile on races here and i'm just going to read some tweets these are all from um academics or people who are like academic adjacent wait i have a clarification question what what is physiognomy that's like reading psychological traits from physical characteristics yeah so it's like the discredited belief that i can tell whether you're likely to be a criminal from measuring your face Got it. Which obviously has these like bad historical, like racial connotations and so on and so forth. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm going to read some replies. These are all from academics or people who are, you know, writers, you know, public thinkers of some kind. There's there's no like random, you know, uh, three follower accounts in here. These are all people who are like in some academic or academic adjacent area. I'm not going to say names because I don't want to pick on specific people. Uh, So here's one Mm -hmm. that says, what the flying fuck is wrong with these people? Um, Mm -hmm. Here's one that says, machine learning slash AI people keep reinventing phrenology and racist approach because they can't be asked to take a step back or involve humanities scholars, dot, dot, dot. Um, Here's somebody who says... You are exactly right. This work weaponizes purely data-driven algorithms to blindly amplify bias, and the people who choose to author it are the ones who seem to be missing something, like a sense of ethics or morals. Uh, Next to last, without any hesitation, let me say, this study is trash. I like that, without any hesitation. Um, Finally, this last one is the best one, and I will say who this is because it's just too hilarious. This dude's Canadian. His name is Tim Mon. He's a- This is a Canadian. Writer. It's a Canadian. He says- This is the entirety. Fuck you and fuck your digital caliper skull measuring snake oil bullshit. Yeah. So not very Canadian. Yeah. I wouldn't have, uh, he wouldn't have been the one I picked out. Right. Yeah. So like, what do you make of this? Yeah. So, uh, okay. So looking at the original comment, the one about physiognomy, um, I think the uncharitable response to that tweet is something like the person doesn't fully understand the paper. Um, So you could imagine that a person like sort of quickly skims this paper and assumes that the authors are claiming that these physical characteristics are accurate signals of the traits that are being rated. So for instance, like whatever vectors for attributes are um, connected with people's judgments of trustworthiness, that, that the author's may actually be saying these things are um, reliable indicators of trustworthiness. Um, yeah. So like I said, I think that the the most uncharitable interpretation of the tweet is that the person didn't understand that the authors are not saying that. So I think the authors are fairly clear that they are saying that um, the traits that people are rating have, may have nothing to do with, they, they may be completely unreliable as indicators of the, of the characteristics, right? Um, so for instance, when people look at pictures of babies and they see them as trustworthy, that might not actually be true. Yeah, so I'll just read the uh, paragraph from the paper. 
Please note that these attribute inferences, so those are the Rader judgments, especially those of the more subjective or socially constructed attributes, have no necessary correspondence to the actual identities, attitudes, or competencies of people whom the images resemble or depict. E.g., a trustworthy person may be wrongly assumed to be untrustworthy on the basis of appearance. Rather, these inferences and in turn our measurements reflect system systematic biases and stereotypes about attributes shared by the population of raiders. Mm-hmm. Right. So so the, the authors of the paper are saying, like, we are assessing stereotypes, um, not endorsing stereotypes, right? Right. Um, I think that maybe, like, a more charitable interpretation of, like, at least the initial tweet or some of the, like, angry tweets that follow is something like, People feel nervous when maybe it seems like the line is being blurred by assessment, between assessment and endorsement. Um, I've gotten this reaction from a lot of people who are not psychologists when I've described studies that seem totally innocuous to me. Um, So, like, I think being within social psychology, we're pretty – it's pretty routine to assess um, beliefs that are shitty or behaviors that are shitty – Um, and yeah, and we sort of like do this in studies and that seems, um, yeah, like nothing really like stands out to us about that. But then sometimes I'll tell people from other fields about that and they'll have this like knee jerk reaction, um, that seems similar to some of these outrage reactions where it's as though they're like, by by just asking people these questions or just like documenting these behaviors of people, you are somehow legitimizing this kind of thing. So by like assessing these stereotypes, you're legitimizing them. And I do think there's some like some reason to be wary of that. So like stuff like this, sometimes um, it it feels reminiscent of, you know, like evolutionary psych accounts where we start to say, oh, yeah, people stereotype people and they can't help it and maybe like they can't help the consequences of stereotyping people and that we start to sort of justify shitty behavior um so so perhaps like this concern could also reflect this um a worry that psychologists are not always drawing a clear line between you know assessing things and endorsing them and maybe this like um feeling that yeah, historically, um, psychology has like endorsed a lot of a lot of shitty human behavior, and even sort of like couched it in these evolutionary explanations that that suggest that this shitty behavior is unchangeable and biological and adaptive and things like that. So that's my charitable interpretation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it is. It's important that this is interdisciplinary research. And that we don't all have the same kind of norms as a field. So like you said, I think in psychology, we're pretty used to the idea of you study people's stereotypes and biases, and that doesn't mean you endorse them, right? So you can build a model of what are people's stereotypes about this group or this trait or somebody who appears in this way. And that doesn't mean you think it's true. Mm-hmm. You're just interested in what people's beliefs are. Mm-hmm. And I, I think to people outside the field, which can include like – I don't want to say lay people, right? Because these can be experts in like other areas, like AI ethics, mm-hmm. for example. That's less obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the other thing is that in AI ethics, they, at least some people, are extremely risk averse mm-hmm. in, in, in a way that in social psych 
we're just not right so they're they're always worried about you know what are the potential bad applications what are the potential downsides how could this harm somebody so like we for example do a lot of persuasion research right mm-hmm. and i've never heard anybody say to a persuasion researcher aren't you worried that this could be used by bad actors to persuade people of things that aren't true now maybe people should say that right but it's just not something that we tend to worry about and so at least to me this blowback and these pointing to what I thought were either misunderstandings or like these very kind of like outlandish or unlikely ways that this could go wrong just seemed weird. But maybe that's kind of the normal way in which one approaches research in at least some like parts of AI ethics research. Like it's really about the risks. I'm inclined to think that the the like apparent or the superficial parallels to things like um, phrenology and stuff like that, those seem to be part of the reason why people are responding so negatively. Um, Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the persuasion stuff because um, the first time I taught a a class um, in prison, the like the DOC has to like approve the classes or whatever um and when it was called psychology 101 they were not into it but then when it was like the brain and behavior it was fine and the reasons that they didn't like apparently psychology was partly because um they thought that people could use it to like fake like mental illness and things like that but also that they could use these like psychology manipulation techniques like persuasion um so they were, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a, it was an intra-psych class called the brain and behavior. Um, but yeah, they had, they did have that like worry about persuasion research. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, you could, you, I think you could say that about lots of things that we study, that they have the potential to be used badly by, by bad actors, right? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And it's just not something that historically we've worried about and that like, maybe we ought to worry about. I guess my question is like, how do you do that in a principled way? Because some of these supposed harms to me seemed really far-fetched. So I posted a tweet asking people just to say, okay, well, what do you what do you think is the problem with this research? If you don't like it, why not? Like what what are some of the harms? Um and one kind of line of argument that people had is, well, you know, maybe people really would try to use this as if it detects the truth, right? So I'm in an HR department and I'm going to get my programmers to put all the applicants' faces through the software to see which one is, you know, which ones seem most trustworthy or I, I guess they're not rated on hardworking, but whatever, like whatever trait you care about. Mm-hmm. And or because the authors of the paper have filed for a patent on this technology, maybe that's what they're secretly planning to do. Mm-hmm. And like this came from people who, you know, are smart, well-respected people, right? And to me, that seems kind of bizarre and paranoid, right? That they have this secret plan to misuse the research. Mm-hmm. Or that an HR department is going to, I don't know, somehow run into this research and be like, aha, here's how it can be used in a way that the authors explicitly say that it's invalid to use it. And I'm going to go to all the trouble of implementing it and run it on, I don't know, job applicants. I mean, it seems much Mm -hmm. more likely to me that like hiring managers are just going to 
use their biases, right? They, if they can look at pictures of applicants, they're going to naively apply their own biases about who looks smart and hardworking and so on. You don't yeah. need a computer to do that. Right. Yeah, I do have that reaction also that it's like the defaults in these cases are not exactly better. Um, yeah, like people just like using their own judgment is, is happening all the time. Um, and presumably is reflecting a lot of the same kinds of, of judgment strategies that are reflected in this. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think like assuming that the researchers are going to like use their research in a malicious way, there's a version of that that does seem paranoid and there's a version of that that seems like totally reasonable. So, I mean, I think that many people are willing to do like shitty things to make lots of money, you know? And I guess I'm not sure exactly what that would look like with this, um, with this software. Um, but I don't think that you have to imagine that somebody is like within the 1% of, of malicious or psychopathic people to assume that, um, yeah, that they will, make some compromises and trying to like make a bunch of money off of off software. Yeah. It just, it sort of seems like an unfalsifiable accusation, right? If you're like, right. Yeah. These people might turn out to be evil and do this evil thing. It's yeah, I guess I get, I mean, what it sort of reminds me of honestly is, do you remember this stuff was going around saying the center for open science is funded by, mm -hmm. I think it was the John Arnold foundation and that means that Brian Nosek is secretly out to discredit us because these mm -hmm. conservatives, you know, are funding his agenda of discrediting social science, which they don't like for other reasons. And mm -hmm. it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, I guess you could get there if you think that Brian Nosek is super evil. But mm -hmm. like, A, it doesn't strike me as that plausible based on priors. B, there's really no falsifying it, right? I don't mm -hmm. know what's in Brian Nosek's heart. So mm – -hmm. I don't know that it goes anywhere. Like, I don't, I don't find it super convincing to say, well, maybe they're secretly evil. Yeah, right. Um, I wonder, too, if people have. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think this is somewhat justified that like people don't like the idea of scientists making money off of research techniques. I mean, as I say that, I'm like, OK, people obviously um, – obviously aren't opposed to the idea of people making money off of technology. Um, but like when people are like researching human behavior, I feel like people cringe at the idea that they could let then profit off of that. I feel the same way. And it, I honestly feel a little bit uncomfortable also about other ways that people m try to monetize their academic reputation. Like speaking is a great example, right? podcasts where you become rich podcasts where we are getting rich <laughs> off this sponsorship good segue to the sponsorship that we're going to do in a minute uh -huh. for example um you know the the way that people try to be you know highly visible public intellectuals and sell books and have people pay them to give talks and all of that stuff it strikes me as a little sleazy and in the same way like yeah i'm a little uncomfortable with the like possible monetization going on here that these people might turn around and try and start a company that does this commercially. I don't love it. Is it, does that make me assume they're evil? Eh, that's a bridge too far for me, I think. That's fair. So you're not at the point where you want to say, fuck you and fuck your digital caliper skull measuring snake oil bullshit. Only to you, Alexa. Only <laughs> to you. Now in all the world to see we've met 
to look the other way And I ain't never been aware But as it is, I'll dream of her tonight Lie, 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 lie Falling, yes, I'm falling And she keeps calling me back again Falling, yes, I'm falling And she keeps calling me back again I had never known the likes of this I've been alone and I have missed things And kept out of sight For other girls who never quite like this Lie, 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 lie Falling, yes I'm falling And she keeps calling me back again Falling, yes I'm falling And she keeps calling me back again Welcome back. Um, so we've been recently studied or uh, sponsored by Finding Five, um, and Finding Five gave us the chance to uh, play around with their uh, study software um, or study creation software recently. Um, so uh, initially, I wondered, you know, like what um, what does Finding Five do that you can't do in, let's say, SurveyMonkey or Qualtrics or something like that. Um, but I realized that one of the strengths of Finding Five is that you can make um, sort of stimulus presentation software becomes um, much more e uh, much easier to create. Um, so they have their own study grammar and you can sort of like play around with that. Um, you can create a study uh, for free within Finding Five so you can play around with it and see if it sort of um, serves your purposes. Um, and as somebody who uh, hasn't coded a study in quite a long time, I felt like it was fairly easy to figure out um, how to use the the study grammar um, to create sort of like randomized presentation of stimuli and things like that. Um, Yoel, can you think of like kinds of studies that you um, would would use Finding Five to make? I don't know if I wanted people to rate thousands of faces on attractiveness or competence, <laughs> for example. Um, yeah. So basically, uh, Finding Five is just a web platform where you can design and run studies. And it's best suited for studies in which you need to present people a lot of stimuli across uh, trials. Um, so that could be face ratings. It could be the IET. It could be lots of social cognitive stuff. It could be um, just straight cognitive psychology studies. For those sorts of studies, um, there's you know not great uh, online solutions currently. And uh, the sort of software that we typically use to make surveys doesn't really work well. Uh, so Finding Five really makes that very straightforward and easy. Um, and they have no charge to make studies. You can make as many as you want. That's always completely free. They will charge you for data collection, uh, but the rates are low. And uh, because they're a nonprofit, they're really just trying to cover their expenses, not make any money. Uh, so we have a promotional code for our listeners that gets you a complimentary one-month pro subscription, which comes with some premium features and 100 free participants. So what we suggest is go to the platform, www.finding5.com, make an account, play around. If it seems like something you can use, make the study, then activate your complimentary one-month pro subscription. Um, and the promo codes for that are in our show notes. They're a bit uh, long and cumbersome to say. So uh, just check out the show notes in your podcast player or our website uh, to find those promo codes. And the, those will get you a complimentary one-month 
pro subscription with 100 free participants. So uh, thank you so much to Finding Five for sponsoring our show. Uh, Just really quickly, if you've been enjoying the show, please do take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes or uh, the podcast platform of your choice just helps other people find the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we always love to hear from our listeners. We're available on Twitter at ForbeersPod, via email at uh, ForbeersPod at gmail.com. Finally, our website is ForbeersPod.com. You can drop us a line there as well. Uh, and you can find any of our episodes there, our show notes, links, promo codes for sponsors, and so on. So before we started recording, you mentioned that you had – uh, chatted with this paper, uh, sorry, about this paper with some students. And I'm I'm curious what they kind of made of it as, as people who are not like, you know, I assume aware of this kind of controversy. Yeah, I would say, so I had, a, I asked, um, I described the study very briefly in my class this morning. I'm going to ask students what their initial reactions were. And they didn't have particularly strong opinions. Um, but they they just sort of had this like vague suspicion. Um, so they were like, Ugh, like, I don't know if I really like the sounds of this. Um, but we only spent a couple of minutes talking about it. And we didn't really get into sort of like, uh, like kinds of concerns or criticisms that felt um, really like troubling to me, um, which actually I think is kind of interesting because um, without like without dismissing some of the like critical comments. Um, and I think there are like some valid points in these comments and things like that. Um, it does seem like there's just like something right. There's just like a big red flag with this study, like for people. So they're seeing this and there's like something about it that they're like, this is not cool. Um, and then, like you said, like some of the sort of like imagined negative applications of these ideas start to feel like either maybe a little far-fetched or maybe not unique to this kind of study or something like that. And so, yeah, I guess I was kind of wondering, like, what do you think the red flag is? Like, what what are people seeing? And they're like, I don't like this study. Like, you know, I got I to gotta find the things that are wrong with it and tweet about it. Yeah, that's a great question because I had a similar feeling of there's just this visceral kind of this is not okay response that some people have to this, which I find super interesting. Um, So I thought it might be partly the AI component, um, that people just find that creepy. But I've also heard indirectly that other people who do face perception research get this kind of hate mail. So Uh I, I think that people outside of kind of our area really get tripped up distinguishing between we're describing a bias mm-hmm. that people have mm-hmm. and we're endorsing that bias. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, um, do you think that that's a lack of, well, saying a lack of experience is so hard because you could gain more experience in a field and then become sort of like brainwashed by the field or something like that. But um, I guess, do you think that there's any like legitimacy to, um, to that like complaint or that concern. Um, I asked that because I have had these moments where I think being trained as a social psychologist, you become sort of like, you, you start to sort of habitually think 
that, I don't know, human beings are prone to these certain kinds of behaviors and some of them are pretty bad. Like, you know, they're prone to being obedient when it means hurting other people. They're prone to um, stereotyping and discrimination. Um, They're prone to aggression. Um, And then maybe like a step further than that is to start to think um, this is how people are, you know, like, and becoming sort of like complacent with these kind of negative aspects of, of human behavior and uh, lazy about trying to like push back against them. Like, is that, is that like a, a legitimate um, concern about social psych? Cause, cause I've had people outside of the field push back against that. And I've been like, Oh, maybe I have just like become really like complacent with shitty aspects of human behavior. I don't know. I mean, so it seems to me that most social psychologists are pretty left wing and pretty into, you know, mitigating or combating these these bad things, right? So right. It's you know, the people who do the prejudice and stereotyping research and I mean they're in it to change these things. Uh I don't know. I mean, does I guess it's to me it seems just like a fallacy to say, well, people do this and therefore it's acceptable. Those mm-hmm. two don't really have anything to do with each other. And mm-hmm. I, I think often, you know, the stereotyping and prejudice stuff, like think about implicit bias, right? Like setting aside that uh, whatever problems we might have with that research or it's, you know, believability or conceptual problems or whatever, you're like, no, you don't think people are racist, but I can demonstrate to you that they actually are implicitly biased in these ways, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's really pushing back against people who are like, no, status quo is fine. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also wonder, like, if there's an analogy in, like, filmmaking where, you know, some people might object to films that, I guess, um, yeah, I don't know, like depict the the worst aspects of our society or something. Um, and perhaps the objection is coming from like worrying that that it's like perpetuating it or condoning those things or something. Um, and that instead we should be providing models. So maybe like a, another possible criticism could be like we're just like documenting bad aspects of human behavior rather than like maybe like a sort of positive psychology critique. Like we're not focusing on the, the good aspects. I don't know. I mean, I think I'm kind of reaching now. Um, but so, I mean, I think it's fair to say, look, we spend a lot of time pointing out problems. We don't have a lot of great interventions for mitigating the problems. Right. Um, and I, I think that's reasonable. Um, I don't think it means I think if anything, pointing out the problems, like if you think about it in any other context, that's not scientific, right? The people who are like pointing out the problems who are like, this group suffers from these structural disadvantages. These bad things are happening. Corporations are doing such and such bad things to these folks, right? Like by highlighting that and by talking about it, it's not like they're like, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. They're the people who think it's bad, right? And the Mm -hmm. reason that they're bringing it up is they think it's bad and they want people Mm -hmm. to do something about it. And so I Mm -hmm. see this the same way, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, here's something that maybe is a little more defensible as an argument, right? So I had uh, a few folks in in reply to this tweet that I posted say like, well, you know, what this model does is, is it just kind of like 
uncritically um, reproduces the biases of the Raiders. Yeah, and, right. Right. So you can imagine like, you know, let's say this becomes ruled out widely and I'm like, I want to generate some um, intelligent looking folks for mm -hmm. my ad campaign. And uh, the model thinks that the most intelligent looking folks are, I think it's like Asian women in glasses, actually. Which are like mm -hmm. very similar to your glasses. So, you know, I'm like, great, roll with That's that. That's why I'm wearing it. <laughs> to look smarter. <laughs> well, it's working. I actually have perfect vision. <laughs> so anyway, you're like, okay, my ad campaign will feature um, these uh, faces that have been algorithmically generated to be smart looking in contexts where you expect smart looking people. And yeah. that just reinforces a stereotype that we have a smart looking people and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. And that, I think, right? That's, that's that, something. That, feels like a fair criticism. That's not nothing. Like my only response to that would be you get that in a lot of other ways too, including uh -huh. people's intuitions, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, do you think that there are uh, applications for making smug faces? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, maybe, you could like use it against a political opponent, maybe. Like, exactly. Like exactly. <laughs> right. People hate smug people. So you take your political opponent and you make him or her 15% more smug, you know, so it still looks like them just with a really fucking punchable face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do I need to be worried about deep fakes? Is this something that is coming? Uh, it's definitely coming. I think just, are, are we worth deep faking? That's the question you have to ask Oh, yourself. I'm not worried about that at all. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, will I be fooled by deep fakes? Oh, uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, I totally think that you should worry about that. And actually, to me, this is a strong argument for doing this research. Because when you know how it's done, it makes it easier to detect it. Right. Like this does leave fingerprints. And mm, okay. if you have examples of how it's done, then you you're in a better place to say, like, maybe we can algorithmically detect and flag these things. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, the technology already is stunning. It's kind of uh -huh. unbelievable. Yeah. OK. So I should be scared. So this defakes was like one of the. So you wrote um, a tweet in response to this conversation. Right. Um, asking people to clarify like what their complaints were about the paper. Is that right? Exactly right. Yeah. Um, my first question is when you decide to write a tweet like that, um, what's going through your mind? Cause a lot of people I think would be like, hell no, I'm not <laughs> stepping into that. So, so it is that I didn't understand people's reactions and um, I wanted to know more. And mm -hmm. I assumed that people who followed me would be, um, I guess, generous enough in their attributions that they wouldn't just yell at me, that they would mm -hmm. actually give their reasons. And for the most part, that happened. So for the most part, people engaged. Um, and there were some folks where I was like, wow, that seems unlikely to me. Like, And I kind of went back and forth with them. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it was a good experience. Like I learned where they were coming from. And I think in general, people were really thoughtful. Even some people, there's one person who showed up and was like, you're such an idiot. It's obvious. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, can you l give me some links to things that you think, you know, show what an idiot I am? And they did, <laughs> in fact, do that. <laughs> so I appreciated that. 
Um, the, we'll include the, those in the show notes. We we will. They they. I have to say, we're not that relevant to the question. Sorry, who, person mm-hmm. who showed up and said I was an idiot, but they were like very kind of far afield from the stuff that I was asking about. But I appreciate the effort. I was hoping we could like highlight the sections that showed how you were an idiot, but uh, you know, <laughs> books have been written. <laughs> Dissertations, <laughs> edited volumes. Um, the uh, the one person who did not respond in a particularly great way was Burhani herself, um, mm. who quoted me being basically like, what an idiot. Um, it shows bad faith to even ask this question and turned off replies. Mm. So it's like, okay, you're interested in like yelling from your soapbox basically and that's it. Uh-huh. Which, you know, fine. That's that's her choice, I guess, but it's not super helpful if you're like, I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. So what was the, um, the objection that seemed the most, um, persuasive or credible to you? I think the idea that you can reproduce these biases, um, Mm -hmm. by using this model uncritically, I think that's true. Right. Uh And, and I, I don't know how much it's an additional risk of the model versus what people are doing already, but I definitely mm-hmm. think it's something to keep an eye on. Um, people posted some links. And just to be clear, this is not what I think the paper does. But there are some companies doing some fucking crazy shit where they basically do say directly, yeah, we can infer things about people from pictures of their faces. Uh-huh. Um, so this is a quote from a piece that somebody linked me to. Um, an Israeli startup, Faceception, has already taken the logical next step. Uh, they uh, say that they are the first to technology and first to market with proprietary computer vision and machine learning technology for profiling people and revealing their personality based only on their facial image. The Faceception team are not shy about promoting applications of their, of their technology, offering specialized engines for recognizing, quote unquote, high IQ white-collar offender, pedophile, (laughs) and terrorist from a face image. This is very scary. That is terrifying, right? Because it's like, it's total junk. But if they, you know, manage to sell this to some governments that like haul Mm -hmm. you in because, oh, you, you know, the software says you're a pedophile. Mm -hmm. That's very bad, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I think in the context, it helped me understand kind of the context of where people are coming from and being freaked out by like, yeah, bad things are happening actually. Yeah, I I do think that it just like rubs up against these ideas that are so scary, right? Like the idea that you can look at somebody's face and make reliable judgments about them um, and that, you know, that people could be developing technology to do that. Computers could be telling people like diagnosing things about people's personalities. Um, you know, you could imagine some like dystopia where you know, a uh, camera takes a picture of your face and you get like put in jail because you're deemed you just look to be like a criminal. A criminal. <laughs> exactly. Right. You look like a pedophile or a white collar offender or a terrorist. Or, right. Right. Or all three. Right. Right. So I think like, yes, that would be super dystopian. And I don't think people are crazy to be worried about that, particularly in, um, I mean, I don't, think it's going to happen in the US or Canada as they're currently constituted, but in like oppressive countries where, okay, so here's an example of like academic researchers doing something that I consider to be crazy. Um, so I think this was a Chinese team that supposedly developed uh, an engine to distinguish uh, Uyghur people from like ethnically Chinese people. 
And it's like, dude, these are the people that fucking the Chinese government is trying to put in camps. Yeah. And right. It's like, no, that's a terrible idea. Right. Uh Like what? Why? So there is stuff out there where you're like, holy shit, that's fucking crazy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And then I guess there's a question of like, okay, so. So maybe one a person would go to like, if this study is like providing the methodology that allows people to do that kind of thing, then maybe their their technology could be like abused in these kinds of ways. Um, I'm not sure. So so I guess yeah, I guess if if you uncritically use the software and you assumed that the characteristics um, or the like kinds of images that are sub are supposed to reflect certain characteristics or accurate reflections. Um, yeah, that could get pretty, pretty messed up. Do you think that the authors are, I don't know, responsible for imagining the most malicious application of their technique and, um, yeah, and worrying about that? I mean, there's different schools of thought on this within AI ethics. Um, Mm -hmm. and the, the one that I find, um, most uh, persuasive says basically, well, you have to weigh the positive and the negative, right? So like, what are the potential benefits versus what are the potential harms? It's called the dual use test, um, mm. according to a tweet thread that I'll uh, post in the show notes. Right. And yeah, in this case, I think the benefits are actually substantial, both in understanding what people's biases are and being able to generate research stimuli and being able mm-hmm. to automatically code pictures of faces to look at you know, how do those attributes predict how people interact with them? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that all has a big research benefit. And I think, honestly, the potential harm, if you're like, what is the harm of publishing this over and above what people are already doing, fair, to me, honestly, seems fairly minimal. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that certainly people are already using their stereotypes um, about, you know, what's expressed on the face to, to make decisions in ways that they shouldn't. Um, I think it's unlikely that a company is actually going to implement this in a model, right? I, mm-hmm. I think the real problem is that people kind of do this ad hoc, like as a heuristic when they're eyeballing people's pictures. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. But mm-hmm. I'm also just like kind of ideologically on the side of like, you know, we should we should do the research and understand what's happening. And that should be our kind of as scientists, like the thing that we care about the most, right? You can tie mm-hmm. yourself up in knots thinking about like different uh, potential outcomes that could be positive and negative from your work. And it's so mm-hmm. hard to do that in a principled way and to, to actually put a likelihood on those. So I'm more on the side of, you know, defer to prioritizing knowledge. I have another question about your your Twitter question. Shoot. Um so you know how uh, sometimes people are critical of people on Twitter for um, posturing rather than like actually trying to engage in like legitimate dialogue? Do you think you're posturing and tr- trying to seem like a reasonable person who wants to learn more, or do you like do you feel like um, you really uh, like learn from these these kinds of posts? Great question. <laughs> um, so I I definitely wanted the information. Uh, And that was because I knew that we were going to record this podcast because I thought the paper was interesting and I didn't want to look dumb, right? I didn't Uh want to get, (laughs) 
So maybe you could say like it, uh, it was like meta level posturing because I was oh, like, yeah, I, yeah. I can't record this podcast and not know what the serious critiques are. But mm-hmm. I really did want to know the serious critiques. I mean, I definitely went in with an opinion for sure, but I, I also wanted to know like, what are the strong arguments against this? Like, what am I missing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think there there is sort of, I mean, the most kind of obvious Twitter character is this sort of like soapboxer, table pounder, the person who just wants to like yell morally inflammatory things, right? Uh-huh. But then there's also the Twitter character who's like, I'm super reasonable. Look how reasonable I am. I'm going to enact reasonableness, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> which I uh-huh. feel like a little bit you're accusing me of being that person. <laughs> I was, I, I just asked a question, you know. Just asking questions, man. <laughs> just reasonably asking questions, okay? <laughs> Well, anything else we ought to get out there before we wrap? Um, I think that pretty much covers it for me. Great. Well, uh, thanks to everybody on Twitter who um, took the time to respond to my question. I really appreciate it. We'll be putting links uh, to some of these discussions in the show notes. And uh, any listener feedback is always welcome. But particularly in this case, we're really curious to hear what you guys think. So thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.